Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So uh, during his term as President of the United States of America, Lyndon Johnson was somewhat overweight. So one day his wife challenged him with this blunt assertion. She said, Lyndon, you can't run the country if you can't run yourself. Respecting his wife's wise observation, the president lost 23 pounds. Here's something I know. You and I all have the right to eat what we want. Sometimes you have to forgo that right to effectively reach other people. Why? Why would I ever want to forgo my rights? Why would I ever want to lay down something that's so precious and valuable to me? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 through 27, Paul gives us two reasons why he would forgo his rights. We're going to look at one of those this morning, and then we'll pick back up and look at the other one next week. Our text this morning that we're going to dive into, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 15 through 27, can be summarized, if you will, like this. I may have to forego my rights to go forward in relationships. I may have to forego my rights to go forward in relationships. You see, he said differently, when I give up that which I can't gain, I gain that which I can't give up. So this morning, let's look at our text and let's learn one reason, just one today, next one will go next week, one reason why we might want to forgo our rights. Now, I know that you've been standing for a while, but I'm going to ask you yet to stand again because I want to read to you God's holy word. And so we stand in honor that the king is speaking, amen? We stand in honor of the one whom this tells us about because we believe that God is speaking when this speaks, amen? So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 15, it says this. Paul says, but I've used none of these things and I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward, but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Although I'm free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all so that I may win all the more. And thus, we will stop the reading of God's word for this morning. Would you pray with me quickly? Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth that is in your word and point us to Jesus. And in his name I pray, 
Amen. You may be seated. Here's the first thing we're going to cover today. And that is this. I can give up my rights because I will gain an eternal reward from Christ. I can give up my rights because I will gain an eternal reward from Christ. So contextually, if you haven't been with us, we've been preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians verse 9, uh, I mean chapter 9 verses 1 through 14, Paul has listed six reasons why he has the right to receive financial support for preaching the gospel. Yet now in verse 15, the first part he says, but I have used none of these things. Paul wouldn't use his right. And in case they they thought he had changed his mind and he was just now trying to manipulate them into really doing something, he says there, and I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. In other words, he's not trying to convince them anymore. He's not trying to trick them. He had not taken pay from those who had served and he didn't plan to, nor was he now trying to be creative and ask them to pay him in a disguised kind of way. Paul didn't receive pay from the churches where he preached. In Thessalonica, we read these words, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, For you recall, brothers and sisters, our labor and hardship, it was by working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, that we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul didn't take monies from those that he ministered to while he was with them, but to be fair... And to preach the whole gospel, to preach the whole counsel of God's word, it would be important to know that Paul did receive support from Thessalonians, but after he left them. He didn't receive it while he worked amongst them. The Macedonian churches and even the Thessalonian church helped him while he was in Corinth. Second Corinthians 11.9 says these things. When I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. When the brothers came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need and everything I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. You see, Paul didn't want to receive wages from those he was immediately serving because he had a deep conviction. What was that conviction? Well, look there in the last part of verse 15. He says, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. Paul would rather die than have anyone think that he preached or taught for money. He was not like the prophet Balaam who was for hire, nor was he in the ministry for sordid gain, the wrong reasons. Paul preached the gospel out of love for people and a passion to see people turn to Jesus. Paul says he didn't want anyone to take that boast. That word boast refers to that in which one glories. It's most frequently done when we hear somebody say they boast about something that we think it's done in, in sinfulness or in pride, but, but it doesn't have to be. Paul's boast was not intended to signal arrogance, but joy. Paul was joyful that he had the privilege to preach the gospel and he would rather die. That's, that's strong language. He would rather die than for anything he did to harm somebody from coming to faith in Christ. His priority was to receive joy from exercising his right to restrict his freedom rather than using it. Very interesting. He refuses his right because he knows he will gain an eternal reward from Christ. Verses 16 through 18, Paul knows something. He knows, first of all, that my reward is not for creating the message. 
Your reward and my reward is not for creating the message. That's point number A, if you're taking notes. Verse 16, Paul says these words. But if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion for woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. What you need to understand and what I know, and and hopefully everybody here in the church today knows, is that Paul had nothing to do with the content of the gospel. He received that gospel by revelation. So what Paul is saying is he's not boasting in his ability to preach the gospel or his ability to create a gospel. Paul was boasting in the gospel itself. His joy was in the gospel itself. And he preached as one under compulsion. You may remember that on the road to Damascus, he was set apart to proclaim this gospel to the Gentiles. Paul's call was one in which he really had no choice. He was under compulsion, the text says. Compulsion means an obligation of a compelling nature, an absolute necessary obligation. Paul realized later that he had been set apart for this, even from his mother's womb, to preach the gospel. Galatians 1.15, he's writing and he says, But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased. In other words, he's saying, listen, I knew that this was the calling I had on my life even before I was ever born. Like Jeremiah and like John the Baptist, he was called before he was born. He knows he has this call on his life. He's under compulsion to fulfill this call. And he basically shares the same conviction as the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says this, But if I say, I will not remember him nor speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm tired of holding it in and I just can't endure it. Every preacher whom God has called will experience that kind of compulsion. It's not that God's calling cannot be ignored. It's not that God's calling can't be neglected. It's not that God's calling cannot be slighted. Here's the true church. God's calling can't be changed. Like Jeremiah, one who resists or tries to to give it up will experience a fire in his bone until he obeys. He has no choice. He's under compulsion. I remember my call. I remember it was very clear and it was so compelling. I knew there was nothing else on this planet that I could do, so I began pursuing that call with all that was in me. Because I am one like Paul, under compulsion. Listen to me, I have to preach the gospel. It is fire in my bones. If I don't, my wife will tell you I will go crazy. It's not that I'm not able to do anything else, beloved. It's simply that I can't do anything else. Added to that sense of compulsion is a serious responsibility. Look in verse 16, the second part. He says, for woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul uses that word woe. Paul knows that the effect of not obeying the call would result in serious discipline and consequences. The severest judgments are promised to unfaithful ministers. Do you know that? God doesn't play when it comes to His Word. And those who are under this compulsion to understand this, Ezekiel kind of helps us all out with something in verses 1-9 through in chapter 33 of Ezekiel. The Bible says these words, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, 
If I bring a sword upon a land and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people, then he who, is, he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood will be upon himself, but had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Now as for you, son of man, I've appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. And when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die. And you don't speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if on your part you warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he doesn't turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. This is the compulsion Paul is under. For woe to me, that kind of woe, that God will hold me responsible if I don't communicate his gospel. And can I just challenge you today, listen, that isn't only for preachers. Every single person who has ever given their life to Jesus Christ is under the same compulsion. If we don't warn people of the coming judgment and the wrath of God on their sin, God will hold us responsible. Do you not know that? Woe to us if we don't preach the gospel. Woe to us. James 3.1 says this, Do not become teachers in large numbers, my brothers, since you know that we who are teachers will what, church? Will incur a stricter judgment. See, Paul says the compulsion and responsibility is dead serious to him. So verse 17, he said, hey, if I do this voluntarily, I get a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Paul didn't do this voluntarily. Remember, he was a called person and under compulsion. So when he says, if he does it against his will, it doesn't mean that he was unwilling it means that he had no part in the call himself. In other words, Paul didn't call himself to do this. So watch this and listen carefully. It was not Paul's choice to preach the gospel. Therefore, he didn't receive a reward. And because it wasn't Paul's choice to preach the gospel, he received a stewardship. Let me unpack that for just a minute. It was not his choice so he didn't receive a reward. He's been given a stewardship. Two ministers aren't in this for the reward. We do this because it's a stewardship that has been given to us, and we're under deep compulsion and obligation to preach the gospel. Because Paul was under an obligation to preach, he neither deserved nor expected a reward. He knew he had been given a stewardship. A stewardship means that someone gives something or responsibility to us that's valuable to them and they expect us to care for it accordingly. 
God gives each person that is believed in Christ something valuable, something he expects us to hold very dearly, and it is called the gospel. And we're to take it and to give it as many people as we can. That's what Paul's talking about. Again, Paul says, woe to me if I don't do this. If I don't take care of this stewardship, Jesus has entrusted me with the stewardship of his gospel. And other people won't know of his salvation if I don't share it. So you and I don't create, we don't add to, we don't take away from the gospel. We've all been entrusted with one message and we're treated as a stewardship from the Lord. That was his call. So my reward is not for creating the message. So then what is the reward? Well, thanks, Paul, for telling us because, secondly, my reward is for communicating the message. My reward is for communicating the message. So we know what the reward is not. It's not for creating this message. So so then what is it? Verse 18, what then is my reward? that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So so he's been called. He's under compulsion to preach and would have been severely disciplined if he didn't. But he was not under compulsion to receive payment for preaching the gospel. Paul could choose to receive payment or not, but there was something greater that Paul was after. Paul says he would work night and day earning his own living rather than to be a burden to those he he served or to think that he was in it for the money. His reward was knowing that he didn't have to receive a reward. The reward was simply in the message itself. There is great joy and reward simply communicating the most wonderful news in the world. There's a great reward in just simply letting others know what we know. Amen? What a privilege it's kind of like this. Have you ever done something for someone that, really, that met a really big need in their life? Like you went over and stayed up all night fixing their plumbing, or, or you gave them a car when they didn't have a car, and you saw their joy and their heart ministered to, and their lives were changed, but then they said, hey, you know what, how can I pay you? And you're like, I didn't do it for you to pay me. I did it because I love you. I did it because there's great joy that comes when I minister to people. And you're kind of shocked and maybe even just a little offended that they would say they want to pay you. That's what Paul's saying. Our mindset with the gospel should be that, man, we just give it to people. and We don't, don't expect anything in return. The joy is just in simply meeting a great need that they have. For, for example, last year, you, you know, several of us from this church went down to the border to help with the crisis, and, and hopefully we'll be going back soon. But, but we took some backpacks. You all helped us. We filled 100 backpacks with tons of school supplies, and we took it down to the border to help kids who would never have a chance to have a backpack. There's some pics that we got. I just want to remind you of a few of those. And, and man, you can see there, man, that little girl, and we threw some extra sports camp T-shirts in there. Man, it was awesome. Here's some families right here. This little boy right here, I'm telling you, man, he was jacked off the chains, man, that he got a backpack. These two people right here, man, were desperately poor. Their pastor tells me they had no way on the planet to ever have those needs met. This was another single mom. No way to afford that. 
This right here is my precious wife, Rachel. You might not be able to see her way back in the background. This is at a school. And my wife is preaching the gospel. She is teaching those kids about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then here, this is me preaching the gospel on a Sunday morning to a bunch of people gathered. This is how they have to gather in their church. This is their church. And then here, man, we were out there. We're dog tired. And this is a men's soccer team that the, the church helps kind of put together. And we were able to share the good news individually with some of these people. And the pastor was telling me how he's invested the gospel in them. And we just wanted to come and love them. Well, let me just show you this. We had been going door to door through that community there in, at the border. We had knocked on door after door after door. And some of us got almost attacked by dogs, right, Kellen? We were sharing the gospel with anybody that we could. And when we'd knock on the door and share the gospel, we'd give them an invite to come back to the church for this free backpack full of school supplies. And they came and they received them. And those children were happy. Those parents were thankful. And in El Salvador, Rachel was preaching the gospel. I was preaching the gospel. And those people heard the gospel. And one life was radically changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But can you imagine this? What if we had went down to the border or we went to El Salvador and we said, we're only going to come if you pay us? There's the thought, right? Can you imagine if we charged people to just love them? What if they wanted to pay us, right? Well, that would kind of steal our joy, right? That would take away the joy of seeing a life change. I mean, it would feel like payment for loving somebody, and that's just wrong. I mean, could they pay us? Sure, I guess. Would it be wrong for them to pay us? Probably, I don't know, maybe not necessarily. But here's my point. We can forego any of our rights to receive any type of a reward because we know that in doing so, we will gain an eternal reward from Christ for just preaching His gospel. The reward is simply this. It's just joining Jesus and telling other people about Him. The reward for the gospel is not creating the gospel, but simply communicating it and watching the lives be changed. I wonder right now, I'm going to pull up an idea here. I'm just going to pull up this, this parable here, and I wonder if you would just think with me through this. Jesus tells them this parable saying, what man, I'm in Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. He says, so what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Now watch this. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, doing what, church? Rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, what does he say? Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. And I tell you, in the same way there will be more what? Joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. Did you notice the, the rejoicing, the reward? There is a reward because you have communicated the gospel. There is a reward by your friends because you have communicated the gospel. And there is a reward of heaven rejoicing because you communicated the gospel and somebody believed the gospel. Listen, there is joy in the person who has been saved because of the communication of the gospel. 
And to do that, to go after lost people means that you and I will forgo whatever rights we think we have to move forward in relationship with them. We have to give up our comfort. Sometimes it is uncomfortable to try to share Jesus. You have to give up that right to your own comfort. You have to give up your reputation. What if I share the gospel and they think I'm a Bible thumper? You just have to forgo that right. What if, what if I, well, do I mean I have to give up my convenience? Do I have to give up my time? Don't I have the right to my time? What about my agenda? What about, what about this? Do I have to give up my right to a persecutionless environment? Because some of us think that I shouldn't be persecuted where I go, and that's a right that I have. I'm in the United States of America. I have a right not to be persecuted. No. You may be required to give up that right to move forward. You have to forgo that right to move forward in relationship with people. So Oscar, if you and those who are singing would come, I want to ask you today, what rights may you have to give up to move forward in relationship? But I can tell you this, if you give it up, you will gain an eternal reward from Christ. So I'm going to place passage of Scripture on the screen, and what I want you to do is, I want you to meditate with me on this. And Oscar, if you could just begin playing behind me, that would just be perfect. The Bible says in Luke 19.10, this is what I want you to meditate on. I want you to think on this. I want you to put your mind on this passage of Scripture. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I want to right now in this moment, and this is not the invitation, we're getting there, but I want to right now, if you just simply, just, if you would, just close your eyes right now. Just, just bow your head and just close your eyes. I want you to think for a moment with me about something. Would you begin to think right now in your heart and in your mind about that moment when Jesus found you? When did he find you? Where were you at? Do you remember where you were at when Jesus found you? What did Jesus say to you? Do you remember what you said back in response to him when he opened your eyes? When he forgave you of all your sins? What did you feel in your heart when you asked Jesus to forgive you? For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Now listen to me right now. What does it do to your heart right now to know that Jesus sought you and saved you? What does that do to your heart? So right now, I want you in your own way, right now, just in your own way of worship, I want you to praise the Lord for saving you. And now, church family, would you ask the Lord Jesus to allow you to join Him to seek and save others? Would you just ask Him, Lord, make me Make me that that willing. Help me to join you in seeking to save those who are lost.
I want you to look back up here at me just for a moment. We preached a text about the Lord saying that I am under compulsion and woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I wonder today, is the Lord maybe calling some of you in this room to maybe full-time ministry? Is the Lord taking this message maybe to call you to, to say, man, Lord, I want to do that. I want to join. And I never thought I would ever think that. But today you find yourself that way. If that is you, man, Pastor Justin and I would love to talk to you. We would love to help you know how to fulfill that call. But here's what I think. I think maybe the Lord puts somebody's name on your heart to share the gospel with. And I just wonder today, maybe during this invitation, if you just come down here to this altar and just call out their name and just say, Lord, I'm scared. I, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I trust you that, that you will empower me to share the good news. Let me ask you today, would you just think about during this invitation and ask the Lord who's one person you can share the gospel with before the year's out? Just one person. Lord, who would that be? Just ask Him. And I, I promise you, he'll, he'll put somebody on your heart. Just find one person. Then, then maybe just do this. Between now, between now and the end of September, just find one way to serve them. Maybe just take them breakfast. Take them a coffee. Buy them something extra when you're, when you're out shopping. Take care of their kids. Take them on, uh, on to the movies with you. Find some way to serve them. And then... Maybe by the time October comes around, you would find just, just the courage to invite them to come to church with you. And then maybe between now and Thanksgiving, you would share your testimony with them of how you came to know Jesus. And then maybe by Christmas, their heart will be ready to receive and hear the message of Jesus coming to save souls. So who would be your one? But I also want to tell you this, beloved. I want to share this with you. There are some here today. You may never have heard the good news. Maybe this is your first time in church. I mean, there, there are several guests here today, and I'm not necessarily picking on you. I'm picking on everybody. But what is this gospel? I mean, this is what Paul's been talking about. He's been talking about the gospel, this this whole text, and you're probably saying, well, what is the gospel? Very quickly, very quickly, let me just share with you the plain, simple, good news. That's what the word gospel means. Here's the good news. God created you and me to be in relationship with Him. He wanted us to walk with Him and talk with Him and know Him and experience Him and be in His presence forever and to know great joy of just walking and talking with this God. But God gave us a choice to eat of one of two trees. He said, listen, there's, there's this tree that you can eat of. It's called the tree of life. And, and if you eat of it, things are going to go great. But there's another tree that if you eat of it, when you eat of it, you will surely die. So Adam and Eve, they ate of that tree. And surely, just as God said, they died. God kicked them out of the garden because God can't allow sin in His presence. And, 
He put these flaming cherubim over the entrance to the garden and they couldn't get back in, so they began to die physically. That's why you and I die physically. Because the wages of disobeying God is death. It always has been and always will be. They couldn't get back in to eat of the tree of the life, so they were going to die physically. But because they couldn't get back into the garden where God's presence was, they died spiritually. And now they can't have relationship with God either. So they're going to die physically and they're dead spiritually. That's where you find yourself this morning. You're, you're dying physically. And it's not a matter of if you're going to die spiritually. You're already dead. There is no hope for you or hope for anyone to ever have a relationship with God because there's no way to get back there to the presence of God. It has been permanently, eternally kept from you while you're still in your state of sin. So, so what is the hope? What is the, what is the good news in all this? God promised that one would come. This perfect one who would live perfectly, who would obey God, who would come and, and he would die. The death that was required, he, he would do it. He would die to get us back in to where now we could eat and live. And he would also make us right with the one to whom we offended. He would make us right with God. He would bring us alive spiritually. So then at Christmas, we hear these words, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we know that Jesus lived a sinless life, and Jesus went to a cross, and Jesus died on a Friday. The Bible says that he died to pay for our sins, because the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every person in this room has sinned before God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. So what Jesus did on the cross was Jesus paid your payment for you. Jesus died in your place. And he was buried and he was raised again on the third day. Because the Bible says that God so demonstrated his love for us in this, that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus gets up from the grave and he says, listen, I've paid the price. And all who come to me will now have eternal life. And one day, beloved, we're going to die physically because we're caught in this physical world. But Jesus will give those who trust in him a new body. And we will live forever back in the garden with God. And Jesus said in John 14, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one gets to the Father but what? But through me. And now Jesus has fixed us physically. We will live forever in a new body. He's fixed us spiritually. We can be with the Father. And he says to any and all, if you will call on my name, I will forgive you. And I will save you. And I will give you eternal life. That, my beloved friends, is the gospel. So my question to you in this room today is, is, do you know how much God really loves you? He loves you so much, He would give up His only Son for you, knowing what you've done. That doesn't stop my God from loving you, and He wants 
to bring you back into relationship with him. He wants to bless you. He wants to be for you. He wants to be your father. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you meaning. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to change your ever-loving life. And so today, if you want to respond to that gospel, if you want to receive what Jesus offers to you, all you really have to do is do this. You just have to trust and obey. So you're saying maybe in this room this morning, you're saying, Pastor, how do I do that? What do I do? That's me right now. I, I sense this. I sense this something's going on in my heart. I need Jesus. What should I do? I want to lead you in a prayer. Prayer is just you talking to God like I'm talking to you. It's when you pray with your heart, not with your head, that everything changes. I just want to write now in this room, if there's anybody that would love to pray this prayer, to, to know for certain that you can be forgiven and made right with God, to know for certain today that you could be saved from your sin, that you want to respond to Jesus, I wonder if you just pray this. Everybody in the room, right now, just, just pray with me. If you know Jesus, pray for those who don't. But if that's you this morning, just, just say a prayer like this from your heart. Jesus, today, I know that I have sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I beg you to have mercy on me. I trust and believe that you died on the cross for my sin. That you were buried for me. That you were raised again to offer me new life. And I receive it right now by faith. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for making me whole. Please, Lord, help me live for you. I turn from my sinful ways and I turn to you. Help me live for you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if everybody in the room would stand today and, and those who are